What is up, internets? Welcome to the Devil's Advocate for Self-Defense podcast, episode 51. All right, we're back. I know I said that uh, we weren't doing any more of these Devil's Advocate podcasts for free, but the last one did so well and people started getting the response that I always wanted from this. So we're going to keep going. I have my good friend on the show, Makai Marumbo. Makai, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? What's going on, Randy? Thank you for having me on this. I remember we did one a while back and it was a blast. So uh, uh, I'm glad you got me back on this. It's always a pleasure talking to you because, you know, I don't get much, uh, 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 too many opportunities to geek speak about martial arts and guys don't know what they're talking about. You know what I mean? So I'm glad to be here. Uh, a little bit of background on me, uh, you know, former uh, retired Muay Thai and MMA fighter, represented Team Canada uh, in the Muay Thai uh, element, you know, kicks a mad ass. Spent a lot of time uh, in the gym training, you know what I mean? Uh, primarily, I'm a Muay Thai specialist. Um, then I transitioned to MMA, did a lot of grappling, cross-training with some boxing. You know, I have a track and field background, so pretty much... You know, uh, training, fitness, martial arts is really my life. You know what I mean? And yeah, you you had a quite a decorated career. You've done everything. You were the captain for Team Canada. You you went for a really good run in MMA. So I love having you on the show, especially for today's topic, which is going to be kind of exciting. So before we get to the topic, I want everybody to understand how this show works. So maybe you have no idea who I am. You're just here to watch Mukai chat. Uh, you need to know some things about the show. Number one, the show is called The Devil's Advocate for Self-Defense, as you just heard. And what that means is we are going to be debating a topic. Now, this is the first time we're doing the format like this. But traditionally, what we do is pick a topic ahead of time. Then the guest, so in this case, Mukai, gets to decide what side of the debate they want to uh what position they want to defend. And then I always take the devil's advocate side of this. So it's really interesting for me because I get to add, get to research things. I would never research. I get to look at things in a way I wouldn't look at them before. Because a lot of the time, what the side that the person picks is the side that I would normally debate. But being the devil's advocate is a really great way to uh, expand my knowledge on this. And in fact, some of the topic we've had actually switched my view on what I thought the topic was going to be because of this debate. So this is episode 51. Don't forget there's 50 more of these. Well, there's technically 49 and then one introduction episode. There's some rules to the debate. So number one, we have to start as friends, which we already are, and we have to leave as friends. I'm trying to show the internet that you can have discourse without rage quitting and then blocking all your friends because you slightly disagree, right? We, you're allowed to disagree with people. You're allowed to have these conversations. This is how we grow as a society. I don't know why people stop doing this. Uh, number two is there's 15 logic fallacies that I usually send ahead of time. Makai's done the show before and he's already pretty good at structuring arguments. So I didn't resend them. If you want to know what those 15 logic fallacies are, that's what episode one is for. Jump onto episode one, listen to the 15 we go through. If one of us is caught in a logic fallacy, for example, let's say I'm mid-heat in my portion of the debate and I throw up a straw man fallacy, creating an argument that doesn't actually exist inside of the debate topic, and because like, whoa, 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 that is a straw man, uh, and if I cannot debate my way out of that, then I have to take a deep breath, taking a page out of Roy Miller's conflict communication book. I'm going to actually apologize. Hey, sorry for using that. I got heated or whatever. Give an actual apology. Then I have to shut my word hole. And then Mukai gets to continue on the point. So there's a disadvantage in this to using logic fallacies. The reason we do the logic fallacies is because a lot of them, the ones we picked, the 15 that I picked initially are all the ones that continue the conversation. So for example, we're not allowed to use circular logic. You can't keep going back to the same point without moving forward in the conversation. This prevents stalls in the debate. 
if you hear a logic fallacy that we didn't catch, send me a message and uh, I will promote something you want me to promote on my social media and we'll give you a shout out for catching the fallacy that we missed because I miss a lot of them when I'm in the middle of the debate. Like our last one, there was quite a few straw mans that I let fly by that I really should have caught on. So if you, the listener catches, please leave in the comments what it was and how I can address it next time. Also in the comments, leave who you think won the debate. Doesn't matter who wins, but it's always interesting to get the viewer feedback because the last debate we had is physics fighting. We had a very skewed uh, view of who won that, myself or Mr. Miller. So anyways, those are the rules for the show. We are going to do 20 minutes worth of debate. Up to the first four minutes of the debate is going to be in Mukai's corner. He gets to set up the framework of the debate. He gets to define the terms. And then I have to play along with those terms. Here's where we're doing a little bit of a switch. Normally, we do one topic all the way through with one consistent thought process. We're actually going to split today's topic into two points, and we're going to do two mini debates, a 10-minute and a 10-minute on this. And on this, on these points, we're going to flip sides. So the debate we're having today is are headbutts effective for debate A, sport competition, are they useful rather in sport competition, and B, we're going to also talk about that if they're useful in the street. So on the first one for sport competition, Mukai, what side are you taking? Uh, I am against headbutts in sport competition, 110%. Cool. So for me, that means I'm for headbutts in sport competition. And then when we get to the second debate, Mukai, where do you stand on headbutts in street defense? All four headbutts in street defense. Okay. And I then, of course, as the show was named, go the other way. I'm going to say I'm against headbutts for street defense. So this is the first time we're doing this, Makai. Thanks for doing the experimental format with me. I greatly appreciate no it. It's always fun when we uh, change things up. And now that we're at episode 51, like it's not that the show's stale or anything, but it's good to have the differences. So I'm setting up the clock right now. Yeah. Makai, get, uh, get your head ready. You are going to set up the first part of this conversation. Are you ready? All right. And... Oh. So we're doing sport first, go. Sport first and street. Okay, so for me, I highly resent, um, you know, because there have been a lot of people talking about since uh, uh, the lead way as a martial arts kind of hit the scene and people got familiar with it. Uh, a lot of people have been talking about, you know, uh, uh, how effective or ineffective headbutts are as part of a, a sport. And to me, a headbutt, the reason I don't like it in a sport is because first and foremost, you know, and this is my primary example, it's, uh, it's a very deadly weapon that doesn't take too much skill to develop, you know, and sports primarily about skills and rules because a sport, you know, is defined by the limitations, not by the extremities, you know, what can and can't you do and how can you use that creativity to win? And that's why I don't think headbutts are a tool that you can get in there because there's no real effective way, for example, of making your head significantly stronger in order to deliver a headbutt. You know what I mean? Uh, you can deliver a headbutt and, and uh, in that one move, someone with no skill, you know what I mean? If they place it properly or land it luckily, can immediately turn the tides of the fight or end the fight. And that's not really a sport. That's more of a self-defense situation where, you know, I'm in trouble, I can use a headbutt. But in a sport, I mean, you want to see the skill, you want to see the, the athleticism, you want to see, you know, skills and techniques that people can practice and use, and that people are universally able to use, in a, you know, and, and, and safely execute. Awesome. So on my side of this, uh, obviously, I have to go the opposite direction of a very good opening statement. So I'm going to disagree with all three of your points. <laughs> Number one, uh, you say it's a deadly weapon that requires uh, no skill. Uh, I disagree. 
So in order to properly headbutt, you have to make sure you're not just doing concussion versus concussion. So there is targeting and there is points that you have to use to make it work. So the general rule, and I'm sure I'm going to repeat this again in the street part of this debate, is you want your eyebrows up to hit their eyebrows down. So there is a targeting component. You can't just whip your head at somebody. If you clunk head to head, skull to skull, that's just going to be concussion versus concussion. That's not good. So there is some targeting that is required. The next thing you said is there isn't really a way for you to strengthen that. You can strengthen your head, but you can strengthen your neck. So having a strong neck will help vault your head forward, but also help with the concussion protocols. Because as we all know, and if you don't know, I don't want to assume you know, but all a concussion is, is your brain getting sloshed around. So the more stable your base is, your neck in this case, the less your head is going to get snapped, twisted, vector changes um, to drive you unconscious, right? And usually when somebody gets knocked unconscious, it's because the brain has been rapidly moved in two directions. So if I can stabilize one of those directions with neck strengthening, that's going to give me an ability. The last thing I want to address is the, the one and done thought process. I do agree that it is like that, but you could argue that people with heavy power shots have the same advantage, right? They could hit you once and knock you out without using their headbutt. So especially the heavyweight division, um, like look at Naganu, right? Like one touch from that guy on most mortals, they're going to sleep. And I would say it's as effective as the headbutt. What do you think about that, Okay. Uh, you make great points, and those are all valid points. Uh, to, to address the first one, um, you know, yes, I completely get there's a, a right way to deliver a headbutt and a wrong way to deliver a headbutt, and, you, you know, you summed it up perfectly, you know, eyebrows up versus eyebrows down. 100% get that. Now, what I was alluding to was a, a training with regards to actual building a skill. Let's use a punch as an example. Right. A punch is something that has to get, uh, get developed over a, a long period of time. You know, and there's a way of throwing a punch as well as avoiding a punch, as well as targeting a punch, you know what I mean? And landing a punch, you know, you use your hips, you use this, you use that. It's a full body motion, you know, that takes a lot of time to master. A headbutt now, you know, is a very, uh, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's a caveman's weapon to put it bluntly, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, sure, you know, uh, uh, you eyebrows are up, eyebrows down, but that's not a very wide range of, of uh, athleticism or diversity for you to say, wow, that was an amazing move. I'd love to watch that. When you talk about sport fighting, competitive fighting, that's why people have like in boxing, for example, it's about hand speed and head movement. You limit what the person can use and you limit what the person can hit. So I can use my hands, the glove part of my hands, and I can only hit you in your head or in your body. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I have to use those limitations in order to, uh, uh, to win the fight. If right. you introduce a, a headbutt in that scenario, for example, there's so many scenarios when you're not close quarters of combat that you can literally just kind of get your head in the mix, you know what I mean? And 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 really uh, uh, upheaval the tables, you know, make make everything topsy-turvy and you've got a distinct advantage that wasn't really earned through um, training and trials and tribulations and development, right? That's my thing with regards to that. The follow-up now, when you say um, um the head is, is is you know, it's, it's you know, it's, 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 um, you talked about, um, I forget what your second point was, but to counter it, you know, uh, I had it in my strengthening, head. I'm, strengthening neck conditioning. Yes, neck conditioning. Okay. Uh, neck conditioning is, is, is a huge element of combat sports. You know what I mean? So people already do neck conditioning in a number of different ways. You're talking about bridging and uh, using weights, tools, et cetera, et cetera. That's already exists. Where my problem is, is um, usually when you use uh, things that have bones, you know what I mean? And very hard bones like the cranium is, uh, you have to cover them unless you're using elbows. But elbows now, uh, 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 what, what balances that is in a clinch situation, you can actually nullify the person and use your hands to work with them, okay? 
And, you know, so that, you know, uh, 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 mitigates the elbow as a weapon, plus a very short range weapon that needs to get close in order to use. Now, for safety purposes, okay, the head is very huge. So if someone, you know, if we allow a headbutt, you know, it's not a safe, it, it, it's, it's not safe for the athlete. Whereas right. when you, you know, we use the gloves to cover our fists, because number one, for the fighter's protection for his hands, but also number two, because if I was losing a fight and I happened to luckily catch you with a bare fist and cut your eye open and a gash opened up, you know, that, um, that, um, what you will call it, that led to a bleeding into your eye and stopped the fight. Right. That is not a legitimate way to win based on the old school rules of fighting where it came from. Now, obviously things evolve and they can go into new directions, yep. but it's like, um, let's use boxing as an example. Boxing started as boxing, you know, and we won't go too deep into the history of it, but boxing was a, a, a sport. It wasn't really a sport at the beginning. It was a, a very knuckle fist fight, you know, to, to, till someone uh, was knocked out or gave up, there was no rounds. And gradually as it became more civilized, it got a round system. Then after got a round system, you know, Queensbury rules dictated you have to have a ring, uh, uh, gloves, and a number of different things. And I, uh, uh, in old school boxing, fish hooking and headbutts were actually allowed. But the reason they were taken out was for that very same reason. They introduced too many in, uh, uh, unpredictable elements that cause long lasting or permanent damage, number one. And number two, they introduced uh, elements that don't require too much skill to develop. Now, sure, there's a measure of skill in order uh, to learn how to target a headbutt. Right. But really, in a fight, you know, it doesn't take much preparation skill, you know, uh, uh, to put my head down and really launch it forward, which is, you know, what you see in the sports that allow um, uh, 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 headbutt. Here's where I disagree. So yes. if, 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 so the way it's, what I'm hearing, and I'm not saying you're framing like this, but the way you're framing it is the headbutt is an unknown tool. But if it's a sport and everybody's allowed to use headbutts, all the same arguments you made for elbows, you can make for headbutts. They're a short range tool. No, no, no. You can work, you can mitigate with it. And if both no, of us no, are no. doing headbutts, but if both of us are doing headbutts, then we're both aware the headbutts are coming, which means we can train. Unknown. I didn't Pardon? say unknown. I didn't say it was unknown. Sure. Okay, I fair, fair enough. So, it's not, it's not, but unknown what I said. It is I known. What I, yeah, yeah, it's known. What I said was, um, um, it, it levels the playing field too evenly for a sport is my ultimate uh, uh, point that I'm making. Isn't that what we want in sport? Don't we want a level playing field so it's a good result? Isn't that kind of the goal? It is the goal in sports, yes. But it's yeah. also to develop a measure of athletic and, uh, uh, development and yeah. um, mastery. You know what I mean? And, and I so think you could do that with the headbutt because you still have to learn combinations where headbutts come in, right? Like it changes, your, it changes the clinch game, definitely, because you can grind the head. And also you have to learn how to throw like jab, cross, hook, headbutt. Like you have to still sequence it in like any other tool. Of course. of course. Now you can sequence things in and you can make them part of a string of combinations, but that doesn't make them legitimate for uh, combat sports because right. that's like saying we can sequence in groin strikes. Like go jab, cross, slip this way and, you know, throw a kick to the groin. That doesn't make it a legitimate uh, a move to add in just because I can sequence it with the rest of the moves that exist. Now, you also have to remember that martial arts as a whole doesn't limit weapons. Right. Sports limit weapons. Yeah. And so for me, because it's a sport, you have to add a limitation to it because that's what introduces mastery. The limitation to say you can't headbutt, you can't groin strike, you cannot hit the back of the head. Now it's like, okay, well, how can I get this guy out of here? You know what I mean? We've got a set of agreed upon rules that we have to work with. And a punch, once you put a glove on it, 
does not do as much damage as it does when you have the glove off of it. And that's what I think was one of the things that revolutionized boxing, made it more civilized and made it more palatable for the general population. Because in, 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 in my opinion, headbutts are a great tool, uh, period. Yeah. Great tool. Let's but make that the perfect segue to the second half of our debate because we're at the 10 minute mark. So there's only one more thing I want to say on this end of it, which is the groin strike is a false equivalency because the groin strike is not an available target in all fighting systems. The head has always been an available target. Of course. And, cool. and to your point, I completely agree with you. I was just countering your point about sequencing things together. So I understand. Work. That makes yeah. sense. Okay, so now we're going to jump to the second half of the debate, although we totally could have done that one for the whole 10 minutes easily. Uh, we're going to jump to the, easily. We're going to jump to the second point now. So now we're flipping the script. We're going to go for headbutts. Makai is going pro headbutts for the street. I'm going anti headbutts for the street. Makai, when you're ready. Now, the reason I believe a headbutt is the perfect weapon for a street fight is because most street fights aren't like ring fights where you have a limitation on your, you know, where you can fight. Right. And because of that, people typically get right up inside each other's faces and hold each other. Now, as soon as somebody's attached to you in, the, in that way, I believe the headbutt is one of the best ways to end a fight, as well as lend decisive blow that will take it to, uh, uh, you know, to your advantage. You know, and uh, uh, as I stated in the, in the previous one, you know, headbutts are great weapons because, again, in a street fight, rules don't exist now. This is, you have no idea where, you, where it could go. You could die in a street fight. So once you're in that type of situation, you have to kick the rules to the curb and do what you need to do to get out of there okay. And that makes total sense to me. So I'm going to go the opposite side of this. And again, I'm going to feed off of what we were talking about in the last one is there is still some master is required for headbutts. And if you're just willy-nilly throwing a headbutt because you think it's going to be the ultimate move or something that's, and you didn't say it was the ultimate move, but if somebody does have that idea, like, okay, a headbutt's going to be a game changer, um, they might throw it incorrectly. And like you said, the stakes are higher in a street fight. So if the stakes are higher, I don't want to be smashing my computer that's making all the decisions I have to make in a high chaos situation against potential other hard thing, which might limit my options. I like your counter. It's a great counter because it speaks to, you know, making sure you're coherent and able to defend yourself. Mm -hmm. I'll counter with this. In majority of self-defense situations, you typically have a larger opponent trying to take advantage of a smaller opponent. Not necessarily the case all the time, but typically it's usually the common case. Now, in that case, when you have a smaller person going up against a bigger person, that smaller person is strategically you know, equipped to use the headbutt because their uh, head level is significant, you know, is typically will be lower than the, uh, the, uh, the opponent. And as you stated before, eyebrows up, eyebrows down, it sets up the perfect scenario for you to be able to use that weapon, even if you have minimal skill. And this, and, uh, add to my point before to say, because it's a minimal skill weapon, we cannot use it in a situation where we're trying to, dis uh, where it's a skill contest like a sport in boxing skill contest, but we can definitely use it in a self-defense situation because it's an easy uh, skill to teach and people can implement it without having to think too much. You know what I mean? Oh my God, someone's on me. You can literally jump up with your head as hard as you can. And if someone's bigger than you, which is usually the case, you're almost guaranteed to make a connection unless you hit the teeth, of course, which is a whole different ball game, you know, with <laughs> something that's gonna be uh, in, your, in your favor. Yeah, so I disagree that it's not a skill-based weapon. And I think I disagree with that because 
it's not a thing that people usually use. The range is very limited and it's counterintuitive for some people to whip their head at somebody. So I do think it does take training. Uh, just like how, like you could, I think, and I guess this is kind of going to the other point. So I don't want to get too deep into it, but I think sure. again, right. A haymaker punch. Anybody can throw that. A anybody can throw a headbutt. But if you learn how to throw your headbutt the same way they teach you how to throw a cross, it's going to make your headbutt better. So I don't think it's a minimal stool, minimal, uh, experience or minimal uh, technical tool, but I do agree the odds of success are much higher with a headbutt than it would be with a random punch. So the, right. the odds of success are much higher. I do think you can sharpen it. So again, though, when we're looking at a scenario where there are no rules, uh, I'm going to use exactly what you said about teeth, right? The odds of blood to blood contact from your head are higher than other areas you're just willy nilly throwing your head. The face skin tears if it's tight, if it's cold outside. This scar on my eyebrow is from an elbow to the head in a street fight because it was cold outside and they cut my whole eye open and I bled everywhere. So in an environment where I don't get to know the rules, people aren't getting blood tested, smashing the thing that makes my decisions into somebody potentially getting blood to blood issues isn't a good idea. Also, if I miss, most people with no training, if it's minimal skill, are going to be off balance and extremely off balance. And if we're working in an environment where the terrain isn't set, so it's not canvas, it could be ice, it could be gravel, it could be slippery grass, somebody could have vomited or bled on the ground and made it slippery. Throwing all of my mass at somebody is going to break my structure, if not taught correctly, if we're, if we're on the point of the minimal skill tool. And the general rule of breaking structure is nose over toes or head over heels. So if I'm throwing my nose over my toes as a defensive maneuver with minimal skill, it's kind of a Hail Mary. It's an all or nothing technique. It's either going to land and succeed or I'm going to miss and be off balance and maybe in a compromised position. I completely agree with what you were saying. Um, but to counter that, yep. um, that goes for any power-based moves that you use in the altercation, which is most of you know what I mean? In any any of the uh, situations, you're aligned with drinks on the floor, vomit, grass, snow. That counts for a punch. That counts for a knee. That counts for a kick. That counts for all your grappling scenarios as well when you're standing grappling. So those things, in my opinion, aren't really valid arguments to try and say I should not. A headbutt isn't this, you know, the most specific, um, um, not not specific, but one of the best tools to use in this field. Because in my opinion, it is because. Um, um, slipping will happen. So you can't use that as, a, okay, I can't throw a hip because of my slip. Because you can throw a haymaker and slip. You can throw a kick and slip, you could slip in any scenario. So those things cannot be used to discredit it because they apply to most moves. Okay. I disagree with that. And why I disagree with that is because it is where your equilibrium and center of gravity is. So, okay, kicks, I would say kicks and headbutts are equal risk. Throwing hands with both feet on the ground with your head over your body, or even it's, it's, it's a lot safer. That's why like when we look at self-defense in uh, multiple environments, like why heavily had like working with the tools from kickboxing or boxing without the lower tools is generally best for your base. So I think it's as risky as a kick, but being saying that it's still as risky as a kick, but I do not think it's as risky as throwing haymaker punches because your base is more solid. 100%. It's not as risky. I agree with you 100%. It's not as risky as throwing a, a haymaker punch. And that's because you're launching head forward and you said head over toes. That's going to change your center of gravity, yeah. right? And it's also it's going to put you in danger of falling face first and having somebody land on top of you. Exactly. I completely agree with those points. Those are valid points to make. Having said that, having said that, just because the potential to uh, to fall over and lose your balance exists 
doesn't mean you don't teach a move and then set the parameters with uh, where it, uh, it gets executed. Because if you remember correctly, like I said at the beginning, and you know this yourself as a self-defense expert, most um, um, you know uh, real life altercations are very close quarters, number one. And number two, they go from long distance to mid distance to short distance in a blink of an eye, because most people aren't trained fighters who start with a referee in between them and they, add, or they don't paw, you know, they don't have the time to work. You know, they usually close the distance rapidly and then they, they do have to work for and it's And that's one of the reasons why I think it's one of the better weapons because most of the aggressors will do half the work for you, more than half the work. And you simply have to execute the move and you're good to go. Right, uh, again, I have to disagree because it's a show, uh, but I disagree. And I think that I want to look at the, uh, the aspect of conditioning. Uh, most people, when they punch somebody, they break their fucking hand. If they haven't conditioned their hand, they don't have to throw punches. Breaking your hand and getting a concussion are much different things. Getting a concussion, like I said earlier, so I don't want to make the circular logic, so we'll continue from this point forward. But going back to that concussion versus concussion, if I'm throwing that and it doesn't land, if I don't have the neck conditioning or the head conditioning, the juice is probably not worth the squeeze. So it depends on the encounter. If this is like a life or death encounter and you're going to die anyways, throw that headbutt. But if it's like a street fight where it's like 45, 50 seconds to a minute and a half, is it worth the neck brace and the concussion when you can just throw your hands? Would I make that a, a, an A tool for my toolbox when the risk is so high for potential injury and long-term physiotherapy after if I damage a soft tissue in my C-spine or my uh, neck or my head? Right. And that's a great argument. I like the argument because, you know, it, it, it shows that you're, you're clearly thinking about it in, in, in a wider circle, as well as worrying about the person's safety and conditioning. But the truth of the matter is, um, in street and, and, you know, real life altercations, uh, people usually don't uh, 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 consider conditioning as a factor because most of those situations, you know what I mean? They happen in such a, 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 a wide array of uh, environments. It's very hard to be conditioned to be ready to fight in those environments. Right. You know, most people who get in a street fight do crack a knuckle or a finger. Most people, you know, it does happen. If you punch That's a guy- That's what I'm saying though. That's my literally my point, yeah. And that is the point I'm making as well is to say, you can't say because a thing that is- uh, uh, one of the staples of what you're engaging in, it might happen, then you shouldn't do that. You know, and that's like saying, well, you might get punched in the face, you know, so you probably shouldn't box because if you go for 12 rounds and get punched in the face for 12 rounds, that, that's going to be terrible. You might get, sure, you can say that, but anything in a street fight, you don't have gloves, you don't have a neck brace, you, don't, you can't brace for those things. You know, it's going to happen when it happens. And because of your fight or flight, you know, physiology from uh, 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 just your, your endocrine system kicking in and dumping all those hormones in your system, you're better off executing moves that have a higher uh, probability of causing success and getting you out of that situation and then going to the hospital to deal with a concussion and then, you know, some physio for your neck, than trying to fist fight it out and breaking your hand and not being able to punch, worrying about your hand and getting your ass handed to you or worse. I think that goes right back to my initial point of I'd rather have, I think I'm looking at this from a risk mitigation standpoint. And if risk sure. mitigation, I'd rather break a hand than hurt my neck or get a concussion. I hundred percent agree with you on risk mitigation, but that will be assuming that once you break your hand, the person trying to punch you or deal with you stops trying to deal with you. Because now when you talk about broken hands, regular people you average joe me and you, even me and you as a trained athlete if i break my hand on someone's head yeah the probability of me continuing in that fight has diminished close to zero and i'm trained 
Now, great. never mind if a girl who's, you know, five one punches a guy who's six two in the face and breaks a hand, and now what's she gonna do next? You know what I mean? And because, like I said, and we cannot get away from this point, most altercations of that nature always end up in close proximity. Yep. It is rare to see a fight where people are doing jumping kicks off the walls. It's, that is rare. It happens here and there, of course, but most of them, close quarters, face-to-face, -face, you can yeah. literally smell the guy's breath. Those are all headbutt scenarios. I agree. What I'm saying here, we, we're going a little bit over time, but I'm really into this debate right now. So what I, I agree with what you're saying. But when we are looking at uh, you, you said it yourself. Actually, I'm going to use your own words against you. When you are, when you are in, um, when you're under that fight or flight adrenaline stress response that happens, you're not going to notice a broken hand. So many people have punched the shit as somebody won the fight and then realized their hand was broken. You're always going to know you have a concussion. You're always going to fucking know that because it affects your vision. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I agree with you. You will always know you have a concussion. Yeah, hundred and ten percent. So you might be but, able to succeed and go through and then have a broken hand after with a concussion that's going to affect all your judgment going forward. 100%. But you have to remember, headbutt is a short-range weapon. Yeah. Now, the idea that someone is going to try and throw a headbutt from four feet away from someone is absurd. Yeah. Because even in the, the, the sports and self-defense modalities that use headbutts, they all include it after a short-range sequence when you're in close proximity. So to counter your points when you're saying, you know, uh, it upheavals your balance and, and, and you might you might miss the target and fall. Yes, if you're trying to do a flying headbutt from a video game. Yeah. But if you're doing, a, a, you know, a basic headbutt, which is, you know, head and neck movement. Yeah. You know, every common sense dictates, you know, uh, the, the, the parameters that you can throw it in. I disagree that people have common sense under stress. I don't think they have common sense under stress. The way you're even, even the way you're doing it is showing your training. That's showing, that's not how normal people throw about like fucking, ah, they wouldn't like go this way to the side. They do. But the, the other point I'm making is yep. when we're like a punching distance, nobody puts their hands down and charges with their head. Sure. I might swing and miss, the guy grabs me and then I'll use the head. You know what I mean? So yep. I get what you're saying when you say, you know, uh, 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 I still don't want to damage my head. But my point to counter that is I get it. And it's, it's a valid point. But the proximity and the range where these altercations are happening, that is actually uh, 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 less likely to happen than breaking your hand when you punch from punching distance. So let's be, let's be, you know, let's be, let's, 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 let's break it down to what it really is. Uh, uh, the distance of the of the strike. Sure. It is very hard to miss a headbutt from headbutting distance. And it's very easy to break your hand from punching distance. That's the ultimate point I'm trying to make is a headbutt is a weapon that doesn't require too much targeting and too much work when you're at the right distance, which is the close proximity face to face, you know, uh, a foot between you, that's headbutt zone. Now, if you're there's a foot between us and I miss a headbutt, Yes, I've gone into what's not a great position, but with that much distance between us, I could probably transition into something else, a takedown, whatever, because in order to miss my headbutt, that's going to create space. And as we all know in self-defense, if you're the aggressor or you're countering the aggressor and the aggressor gives you space, you can now make your exit or you can advance and improve your position. So I, if the situation you're trying to explain where a person misses the headbutt and ends up on the ground or whatever, the balance is gone, does happen, uh, that means the aggressor had to create enough space for them to miss the headbutt. So they also have enough space to exit. So in my opinion, the headbutt has worked because it helped the, it helped them uh, push the aggressor back and create space for them to uh, evade and escape. Awesome. Number one.
Number two. <laughs> we're, 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 we're super long on time right now. That's the only reason I'm going to. So anyways, I got to cut you off. I'm going to cut you off there. We're going to continue this on final thoughts. So I didn't mention at the beginning of the show, but final thoughts is on Patreon at the $5 level. So our first tier where we always go with our actual thoughts on this. Um, if I did my job right, you shouldn't know what I actually believe. And you'll find that out behind the paywall. My actual thoughts are on this topic. Mukai, this was super fun. We went longer than normal. I loved it. Can you tell the people where they can find if they're interested in getting any training or that kind of stuff? Most definitely. Uh, I'm doing a one-on-one training, personal training, so fitness. Uh, right now, uh, my primary focus is fitness and martial arts. So I'm doing one-on-one training, so hit me up on my uh, Instagram, at Mukai Moromo, not hard, Mukai underscore Moromo. Or you can look me up on my website, MukaiMoromo.com. You can hit me up there, get at me. Um, yeah, I'd love to work with anybody. Uh, I work with anybody from beginner to advanced. I work with professional athletes. You know, any type of person who wants to move, I can help you move. You know what I mean? Athleticism is for everybody. So let's do some work. Awesome. All right, everyone. And don't forget, jump over to Patreon. If you want anything more on me, randykinglive.com as always and at randykinglive. But those things are on the bottom of this in the post-production. They're not here yet. So awesome. Makai, thank you so much for your time. We're going to have the final thoughts and actually have a debrief discussion on this.